0: X-ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's April 23rd, 2020. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Today, back in the day, is it an auspicious day for viruses? In 1984, the AIDS virus, identified as HTLV-3, Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome, In 2003, Beijing closed all its schools for two weeks because of the SARS virus, and in 2019 on this day, and in 2019, the world's first malaria vaccine, giving partial protection to children, began in Malawi by the WHO. It is the X-Ray Fund Drive. X-Ray is embracing the Stockdale Paradox in action, real and optimistic, what you need and hopefully a bit of what you want. We need you to keep this work going. Please do make a donation. You can talk to a live human at 503-233-9729 or go to xray.fm to support the 420 to May Day Drive. Today on The Local, your quick six headlines, an update on Earth Day from Vivian, Samaj, and Alejandra from Youth Environmental Justice Alliance, and an interview with Dacia Graber, candidate for House District 35 and a firefighter.
1: I don't believe that we have to work in that, you know, that paradigm that dichotomy where we can either have, you know, fiscal responsibility or we can take care of our public employees. I think we need to learn to be more creative and innovative and we need to dig a little deeper.
0: First up, it's time for today's quick 6 local rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith. It's Thursday, April 23rd. The Portland initial budget shortfall estimate is nearing $75 million. According to a presentation made to the city council on Tuesday, estimates from the budget office have the city's general fund down $75 million for the next fiscal year as a result of COVID-19. With local businesses hurting, tourism non-existent, tourism tax is a big piece of revenue, the city's budget office is predicting a $20 million drop in lodging taxes as well as a $45 million drop in revenue from business income taxes. The office also expects more Portlanders to fall behind on property and utility license taxes. There is some hope that depending on the financial state in which the city ends the current fiscal year, Portland might be able to use some surplus funds to deal with some of next year's shortfall. But where we're going to be at the end of June is also hazy as the deadline for tax filings has been pushed until next month. One of the reasons for fiscal year starting in the middle of the year is so those tax documents that get processed in April can in fact be reflected in that budget. Economists do have some optimism, as the economy was strong pre-COVID, and many of the taxes the city will collect are based on pre-pandemic economic activity. All this in context, by the way, of Mitch McConnell telling a radio station, not X-Ray, that he'd rather state and local governments go into bankruptcy than to get stimulus dollars. As of Wednesday, state and local health officials report Oregon's confirmed COVID-19 cases total 2,059 with 78 related deaths and the latest data from Washington reports 12,282 cases and 682 related deaths. Washington Governor Jay Inslee has not formally announced plans to extend Washington's stay-at-home order past May 4th, but in a brief address on Tuesday indicated an extension on most, if not all, restrictions is forthcoming. His quote, It will look more like the turning of the dial than the flip of a switch. It's been nearly eight weeks since the nation's first novel coronavirus death was reported in Washington state, It's been more than four weeks since Inslee shuttered non-essential businesses in Washington. And it's not local, but two New York cats got diagnosed as positive for COVID-19. There is no evidence that a human can get it from a cat. At least 595 coronavirus patients in Oregon are now fully recovered. According to figures released on Tuesday, at least 595 Oregonians who have tested positive for the novel coronavirus are no longer believed to be infected. That's almost a third of the known cases. The recovery data was based on the 1,853 known coronavirus patients through Sunday. 32% of them, 595, had fully recovered, while another 682, or 37%, remained sick. Health authorities said it considers a patient recovered if they don't display symptoms of coughing, fever, or shortness of breath for 72 hours. That's three days for people without a calculator. Those who are asymptomatic are considered recovered seven days after their last positive test. And that's 168 hours, even if you do have a calculator. And the recovery time for all cases has ranged from 10 to 20 days, with a median recovery time of 14 days. That's two weeks. I'm not telling you how many hours. Meanwhile, OHSU is launching a coronavirus hotline. It's called the Connected Care Center. It's staffed by registered nurses and clinicians working from home. It's open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. all around the week. The number is 833-833. OHSU CCC that's 833-647-8222 and thank you the Andrew and Corey Morris Singer Foundation their 1.6 million dollar gift helped make it possible well we're not drinking at restaurants we're not drinking at the bowling alley but we're sure drinking at home According to the National Restaurant Association, 81% of restaurant workers in Oregon have been laid off, 4% of restaurants have been permanently closed. Wilsonville bowling alley is also closing. Owner JP Muller pinning his hopes on saving Mount Hood Lanes in Gresham. Shout out to the Portland Tribune on the pinning punning. Meanwhile, almost half of Oregonians are drinking while working at home during the pandemic according to a survey. Millions of Americans are drinking on the job as they work from home. According to Fishbowl, a social network for verified employees found 42% of nearly 13,000 workers surveyed were drinking on the clock at home. Now, maybe the drunk ones were more likely to fill out the survey, but 42% seems like a lot. A larger Fishbowl survey showed workers in these three states were the biggest drinkers, North Carolina, Connecticut, and Oregon. Each state showed 47% of at-home workers partaking on the job. We're top three, folks. In your election news, today the Supreme Court is going to issue a really important opinion. Remember yesterday's report that Mayor Wheeler was found to have violated campaign finance laws that 87% of Portlanders had voted in favor of? Those were the disclosure rules. He hadn't disclosed his biggest donors. There's another part of that same measure that the mayor did not abide by. Those are the contribution limits themselves. As has been reported, he raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars at a time. Lots of the best politicians have. Rob Davis did an award-winning story in The Oregonian about it. Wheeler's rationale was that he didn't have to abide by the limits because they weren't enforceable under the Oregon Constitution. Well, that question has been before the Oregon Supreme Court, and we just found out yesterday that the Oregon Supreme Court is going to release its opinion today. There are two likely possible results. Possibility one, the court will maintain the current Oregon precedent, affirm the lower court opinion, say that Wheeler's practice of five and $10,000 contributions or more is fine for now, continue to block the Multnomah County and Portland limits, and leave it to the voters to decide on the constitutional ballot referral that will in fact be before the whole state this coming November. Option two. The court, which is different now than the one that barred any limits years ago, will note that Oregon has the same free speech clause as most other states. Somehow ours has been interpreted differently and say the legislature and local governments are free to impose limits to campaign contributions. This is a monumental decision. We'll let you know tomorrow how it turned out. And some good news, at least I hope it's good news. The Canby Ferry is reopening on May 4th. Clackamas County announced on Wednesday that the Canby to Wilsonville Ferry will resume service on May 4th. The ferry will only allow three cars at a time to keep social distancing. The ferry runs seven days a week between 630 in the morning and 830 in the evening. Shout out to Harry and David. They've donated more than a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of snacks to community organizations. 14,000 bags of moose munch, more than a thousand bags of chips to the Jackson County Emergency Operations Center, which have been set up at the Expo in Central Point. That Emergency Operations Center down in Southern Oregon has been accepting donations of homemade and manufactured face masks, medical gowns, sanitizer, and other supplies, and then giving out the supplies where needed. And now those supplies include a whole bunch of snacks. Also, shout out to Sarah Architects, who are producing face shields for caregivers. Sarah Architects was started by Bing Sheldon, rest in peace. As head of the Planning Commission, Bing Sheldon was a leading architect of the Portland Plan, which helped put Portland on the national city planning map. He was also the impetus for the founding of Portland Ford, one of the groups that pushed the campaign finance ballot measure I mentioned above. He was also, I will disclose, a friend and an early X-ray supporter. We live in a 600,000-person city that is also a small town, folks. This stuff comes full circle. Love thy neighbor. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith, and you're listening to The Local. Here's the inimitable Emily Gilliland on what's next.
2: Thanks, Jefferson. Next up. Yesterday on the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, I spoke with Vivian, Samaj, and Alejandra from Youth Environmental Justice Alliance. What Earth Day means to doing things when you are afraid, we covered the gamut. So let's get to it. Alejandra, let's start with you. What is Youth Environmental Justice Alliance?
3: The Youth Environmental Justice Alliance is a
2: youth-led,
3: youth-run, like after-school leadership program um that was initially started uh through the nonprofit of Open Environmental Justice Oregon about um 5ish 7 years ago officially
2: <laughs> and what does it look like on a day-to-day basis it's a very inviting space
4: for queer women of color women of color and I guess like people of color in general we focus a lot on transportation justice mm-hmm. um social justice and environmental justice so a lot of work we do has to do with creating more equity in our communities.
2: I love that and Samaj how did you
5: get involved with the group? So I got involved through the summer program that they put on every summer called STP or Service the People and basically what that was is like a preliminary training to you know introduce us to the concepts of environmental justice and um, equity and all that kind of thing, and then from there we were offered the internship, and then that's how I got it.
2: Oh, fantastic! So, Vivian, tell me about your role as a Youth Pass campaign lead. what What does your work look like?
4: what are you What are you working on? Well, we're currently working on the Youth Pass campaign. So, mm-hmm. essentially, what that is is that we want to create an inclusive and progressive Youth Pass program that provides zero out of pocket fare for youth. For all youth, 18 under, region wide, and all year round. Um, So, a lot of work we do, we work with other organizations and also Portland Bureau of Transportation and TriMet and Metro. And a lot of it is like organizing meetings and figuring out how to uplift the program.
2: Got it. And, Samaj, what have been the challenges in trying to get a youth pass for all regional youth?
5: Um, I would say that a lot of the challenges come with trying to get across the message about why we need this a lot to other people Mm. because, of course, we know why we need it and youth know why we need it, but it can be kind of tricky sometimes to get people to sympathize with us, I would say. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the other challenges that we have would be getting into those, you know, higher spaces where we can really um, broadcast our message to an audience that has a lot of leeway in the decision to make Youth Pass happen. That's a challenge, I would say. Okay. Yeah.
2: And so today is Earth Day. It's the 50th anniversary. It's a time where a lot of people are thinking about a healthier planet. Youth passes, is obviously a step in that direction to get more more young people using public transit. I'm curious. I have a question for each of you, so I'm going to ask each of you to answer this question: What does Earth Day mean to you? And Alejandra, I'd like to start with you. What does Earth Day mean to you? You know, um, it's interesting <laughs> that you ask that
3: because I was in environmental studies minor in college, and I've been involved with EJ, but this is actually my first Earth Day I'm celebrating, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm on the steering committee for it, <laughs> so <laughs> it's definitely quite um, a first time around, um, but I think Earth Day, like, the history of it all comes out of, like, organizing for climate change and mm-hmm. organizing for a more liv- livable an equitable like world um, and so I like to think about kind of more of the how like the environmental justice movements like Cesar Chavez's and like farm workers you know like they were the ones to start against pesticides you know that wasn't like wealthy white families that was definitely farm workers saying that the poisons that you were eating were killing not just you by eating them but by picking them so I think it really means, like, understanding how, like, environmental degradation actually impacts us in our homes and our livelihoods.
2: Mm. And I have a question for both you, Vivian and Samaj. What is your advice for people who want to get more civically engaged, like you two are, but are afraid? Vivian, what's your advice if someone's afraid to get
4: more civically engaged? I can totally understand how people feel about that, because, like, that was definitely definitely me just like a year ago my advice is to I guess essentially take time to research and educate yourself about the different issues you don't have to necessarily partake in you know like advocacy groups you know but like it helps to be able to understand the issues that are happening in your local community and different ways you can support your community I suppose mm-hmm Fantastic. And, Samaj, what's
2: your advice? If someone's afraid to get involved or get in the middle of of the fight,
5: what's your your recommendation? You know, I think I would just echo that a lot of the time. I would say that learning about the topic is definitely a great way to get your foot in the door and then also just being an ally. Mm. Um, Being someone who is standing with the people who are already doing that is a great way to feel closer to... um, Closer to the campaign and closer to the action. So then, when you finally feel comfortable, comfortable enough being in those spaces, and you can finally, you know, take charge. And I think a lot of, I think that takes a lot of courage. And it has to, it'll definitely be a, um, a leap of faith. I think maybe for some people, but I feel like it's definitely worth it to do that.
2: Mm. And Vivian, what comes after Earth Day? What does your organizing look like in the coming months?
4: Well, even beyond Earth Day, mm-hmm. we are going to still be working on a UPASS campaign. It definitely is an issue that will outlive Earth Day, I guess. Of like, go beyond, you know. Um, so we'll, we'll probably be doing the same things that we've always been doing: uplifting youth pass, asking for support of the public, and also of um, Metro and TriMet and Portland Bureau of Transportation, who have all been especially supportive. Um actually I think I like to take this time to to thank and acknowledge um our champions, people who have definitely been super supportive. So there's TriMet Board Directors, there's in District 7 Clackamas County, Kathy Way, and there's TriMet Board Directors Dis- District 2 in North Northwest South in Southwest Portland, Ozzy gonzalez and also Director of Transit Equity Inclusion and Community Affairs of TriMet, John Gardner. Um He's been listening to youth about how important youth pass is and coming to our meetings to, like, listen to us. And also the support from Mayor Ted Wheeler and longtime champions, Portland Commissioners Joanne Hardesty and Chloe Udaly have also been quite appreciated.
2: That's great. It's always good to have allies and advocates on your side. Um, Now, Samaj just in case folks are wondering, we're talking about Youth Pass. We're talking about a regional strategy to make sure young people have access to public transportation at no cost. Where does that decision, where is that decision made about whether that can happen or not?
5: So basically we're trying to get into a transportation bond for 2020 and that will be, so basically we're trying to get into the bond and then um, the commissioners will vote on if we will be put into the bond and then we will be sent to the ballot and then of course the people will vote for it there.
2: Uh, fantastic and what's the timeline for that Samaj? When mo- when will folks potentially be
5: voting on that? So the voting has been moved to late July mm. because of uh, you know the current world events so that's when we would see a lot of the voting yeah. happen. Okay. For metro councillors, anyway. Got it. Thank you
2: for that timeline. appreciate it. And as we close out, Alejandra, how can folks support your work?
3: I think one of the most simple ways is to give us a follow on Instagram at the PDX page and definitely getting plugged into the campaign through our website or through our Instagram. Um, but the biggest thing, yeah, is, you know, this bond is coming up to be voted in late July and letting your metro counselor know that you want to see youth pass included in the bond is always a really good way to go. It's just, like, a quick lookup of who district you fall in and shooting them an email or giving them a call. And then keeping an eye out for the ballot in November, like, making sure that we turn out this vote for not just, like, you know, big elections, but for these, like, really important bonds that will truly transform how we look at transportation and make it so that youth can ride for free as they should so yeah that's that's the i think some of the more simple ways we also appreciate donations but
2: yeah excellent well thank you three so much for joining us this morning on x-ray and thanks for all you're doing in the community and next is an interview with Dacia graber a candidate for house district 35 Dacia talks with jefferson smith about who inspired her to run The power of one brave voice and taking on community needs one call at a time.
0: So tell us, who are you and why are you running?
1: (laughs) Great. Uh, My name is Dacia Graber, and I recognize it's an incredibly hard name to pronounce, and it's one of many in this election cycle that are really hard to pronounce. But uh, I'm almost a two-decade first responder. I'm a union firefighter, and I've seen firsthand obstacles that working families face. I uh, spent, you know, my life serving my community one call at a time and working hard to make things better for people on the worst day of their lives, and that really informed a lot of my community advocacy and my activism. And so things that, you know, any, whether it's from gun violence or folks on the verge of houselessness, access to health care, mental health and addiction issues, a whole the whole gamut, I started, you know, having these experiences going, what can I do? to make things better. Um, and I took that determination to see change for some of our most vulnerable communities to activism. I uh, I met our current representative, Margaret Doherty, several, several times in her office, you know, campaigning for different causes. And uh, I think gun violence was the first one working with Moms Demand Action. And I experienced that the value of sharing these really powerful stories and experiences Um, could change lives. It could change people. And I saw that how effective that one brave voice can be when you stand up and you share your lived experience and what you're seeing. It was a couple years ago that I invited Representative Doherty to Portland Metro Fire Camp. I'm very proud to be part of a, a coalition effort in the region where we bring girls ages 16 to 20 in to experience what it's like to be a firefighter. And I invited her to see this and she kind of tagged along for the day, and at the end, she looked at me and she said, "You know, why don't you run for office?" And I just laughed. And I went, "There's not my thing. Uh, I'm comfortable in this gear. I love being a firefighter. There's no way." And uh, so I went home that night and I said that to my husband. I was like, "Hey, what do you, you know, this is what do you think of this? Rep- Rep- Representative Doherty said this," and he just laughed and said, "Well, well, why the hell not?" And uh, so that kind of got the wheels turning. And as, you know, we moved forward and and we were involved, uh, as I was involved in things like the extreme risk protective order, uh, passing paid family leave after turning our own family struggle into a testimonial and a catalyst for change, I really saw the benefit of this and I stepped up. So I went through Emerge Oregon, I've gone through Oregon Labor Candidate School, and I'm just thrilled to have the opportunity. I should also mention, uh, because it may become an issue on this interview, I'm also a mom of four teenagers. And,
0: uh, what are they doing right now? Sort
1: of, well, right now they're sleeping.
0: <laughs> a moment crazy. of rest. Are they going to school online? Are they, are they doing any sort of classes? What, what's their day-to-day?
1: Yeah, yeah. So they all go. We live in the reaches of the district that are up in Multnomah County. So we live in Southwest Portland. And they are Portland Public School students. So I have three that are in Wolfland High School and one that's in Jackson Middle School. And, you know, their teachers are doing a fantastic job. But I, I don't call it homeschooling so much right now as crisis schooling <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because we're all sort of defining this together. And if there's anything that I've seen uh, since we've embarked on these really strange times we're in, it's that it sort of brought the kind of the glaring inequities of access and privilege uh, in our community to light. So I yeah, so our, my kids are online probably with schoolwork roughly three to four hours a day.
0: Are you in, still engaged as a firefighter? Are you working as a firefighter? Do you plan to keep working as a firefighter while you're in the house, if you win?
1: Absolutely. So I I love being a firefighter. It's more than a job for me. It's a vocation and a calling, and it's really been, you know, those values that I'm bringing with me to Salem.
0: Yeah, uh, I remember. One of the things. Go ahead. Huh? No, go ahead.
1: Oh. Uh, and one of the things, you know, it would not be possible to continue being on a shift schedule while the house is in session. So early on, as I was exploring this, I met with my fire chief in the administration and said, "Hey, what are my options?" And you know, we looked into it. It's a citizen's legislature, and so I am I am eligible to take a leave of absence during during those sessions, and then I would come back to the line.
0: Yeah, I remember Greg Matthews, who served in the legislature in a very similar circumstance. And I think it was viewed by the Oregon firefighters as a good thing to have a member right there in the House, and not only lobbying members of the legislature, one of their own is embedded.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I have received the most incredible, overwhelming support from my sisters and brothers in the fire service. I think it is really exciting to know that you have somebody that sees what we see on the day-to-day understands the principles of teamwork and courage and determination and have someone in there with that collective voice. So Uh I feel very honored and privileged to have their support.
0: On the policy front, where do you think that the legislature is getting it wrong? Where do you think is getting it right? And if I wanted to sharpen this question a bit, what I would say is, (laughs) what do you think from a policy perspective you will prioritize that might actually impact the debate somewhat?
1: Yeah, you know, I i have I had this incredibly clear platform going in right six months ago I'm thinking you know, we're going to do a fair economy that works for all educational opportunity, green and forward thinking infrastructure and those tenants still stand you know working protecting working people, but I also recognize that we have a new lens that we're looking at everything through, and we need to be nimble and flexible in that so From a specific policy standpoint, I think one of the first things that we need to, as a legislature, do is, A, figure out how to communicate across the aisle so we can get stuff done, and most importantly, we've got to get people back to work, and we need to make sure people have the protections they need. One of the policies that's in place that I worked really hard on was paid family leave, And rather than waiting two more years for that to come into effect, I think we need to look for ways to get that active now. We have families who are suffering, and this could be the difference between, you know, a family losing their home, uh, losing a roof over their heads and being able to stay where they are. So that is one for sure. Um, And then I think we're going to have to really look at some of the mortgage relief, rent relief programs. I think, you know... A moratorium on evictions, if it hasn't been passed locally, it needs to be passed on a statewide level. It's, it's absolutely important. And we also need to look at kind of reducing the red tape for business loans because small business is the heart and soul of Oregon, and we need to make sure I mean, so many of our small businesses are incredibly vulnerable and and they are feeling the stress right now. Some have already closed.
0: Back to the first responder thing. As you, yeah. As first responder, what is your life? Like, how is your life different? I know you're campaigning, you're campaigning by zoom and by calling <laughs> people like me, but what is your, uh, what is life like right now for firefighters? How is it different than when we're not in the midst of a global pandemic?
1: Oh, man, it's so different, and yet it's the same, right? So people are still having heart attacks. They're still crashing their cars, and uh, they're still burning their houses down. But like I said, it's that lens again, and where, you know, for the last 20 years, when I get a call, I don't really think about it. I run out to the rig. I jump into my gear. We get on the engine, and there we go. Now we have this really elaborate PPE that we're using to protect ourselves. We have had firefighters sick with COVID-19 and we know that that's a really very real threat for us and every other frontline worker. So when we get a call, we have these, uh, depending on what level of um, COVID suspicion and every call we treat that way because we've had patients that had no outward signs but ended up being COVID positive. So for most calls we put on this reusable Tychem suit and our SCBA masks our face masks that we wear for fires and something called a P100 cartridge that we we clip in so really it has the effect of making us look like something like an extra out of contagion. <laughs> it's quite impressive and intimidating. And I will tell you, you know, the other day it was pretty warm, and I was working, and we were in and out of those things quite a few times, and it was hot. It's hot and sweaty. They're not breathable. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the ways it's changed. And I think just that, um, you know, everything we do in our job has the has the possibility of causing harm to us, but it's not ever at the forefront, and it's still not right. We we're not backing away from what we do. We're proud to serve and and be right in there. But it does give you an extra layer of you know heads up about this. Um, I might you know we're very careful around the station and how we decontaminate everything, and yeah, we recognize the risks that we're taking.
0: I haven't had a chance to talk to Keenan Cassavant. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing the uh, if it's Cassavant or Cassavant. He is also running in the same primary as you. Here's what I find interesting. He has in his announcement at least according to uh, according to Pamplin. The uh, He is looking to provide a conservative alternative as a Democrat in the Tigard area race. Now, it's one thing if you are the Republican nominee to say you're offering the conservative <laughs> alternative. It's another thing to do that if you're in the Democratic primary. What do you see as some of the key differences between you and Keenan?
1: You know, I haven't actually had an opportunity to meet Keenan yet. I've put the effort out there, and he has so far declined. I would welcome to sit down and so what I know of Keenan, you know, I really know just from reading what he's put out on his website. Um, i I don't understand what he means by a conservative alternative because we're both Democrats. I do know that his that he has been endorsed by Timber Unity. I've been told that. So right there is a big difference. I I believe in a green Oregon and forward-thinking infrastructure projects, and and that's not an endorsement I'd go after. Um, I think we have very, I'm guessing we have very different approaches to, you know, public retirements to education, but it's it's really hard. It's a uh, I can't really speak to that because I, I haven't, I've heard one uh, interview that he did on KBU. I listened to that. And, you know, he seems to have a lot of experience in uh, academia policy, but I, I don't know what his lived experience is and practical experience is. I haven't met him in the Capitol before. So I think that's the other thing that I bring a strength is that I know uh, just from the time I've been down there as an advocate, I've met a lot of people in that building and I've really worked hard to establish relationships both with Democrats and Republicans, and that's one of the things I'm most proud of, even though I am a proud progressive and proud Democrat, I have people supporting me who are independents, who are Republicans, I, I have money from libertarians who've, who've made small contributions, and that's, that feels really good.
0: Dacia Graber, candidate for House District 35. Thank you so much for being with us. Where can people find out more?
1: Uh, They can find out more on my website. It's www.dacia, D-A-C-I-A for Oregon. I'm on Facebook at Dacia for Oregon. I'm on Instagram at Dacia for Oregon. I'm on Twitter at D.J. Graber. And as of yesterday, I have ruined my teenagers' lives by getting a TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) we haven't released that one yet but oh my god that was so much fun they're mortified
0: good luck with your family dances (laughs) Dacia graver thank you for your service and thanks for the time and good luck to you
1: thank you so much thanks for the opportunity i heard your intro by the way i hope that you are bringing in support because you're right more than ever we need good information coming across our airwaves so thank you for doing that thanks for this
0: appreciate you Thanks to Vivian, Samaj, Alejandra, and Dacia for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Again, we dearly love your support for the work at X-Ray. You can become a member at 15 bucks a month. You'll get a cool new shirt, record tote. Just go to xray.fm slash donate. There's an easy blue donate button if you just go to xray.fm. If you want to talk to a human, it's 503-233-X-Ray. We can be together while we're apart. If you have story ideas, good news, anybody you want to shout out, send us an email on the local at x-ray.fm. Tomorrow we'll be back with Alex Zelinsky from the Portland Mercury and Paige Kreisman, candidate for House District 42. Talk to you tomorrow. In the meantime, stay home. Stay connected. And thank you, Democracy. X-ray.fm.